Um, anyway, going to Hy-Vee. We got whatever we needed in Hy-Vee. He was visiting from out of town. We're walking out to the car. It was the middle of winter like this, except not as nice as it is today. But it, it, there was a gal who was struggling with her cart, and he just immediately went over, talked to her, helped her with her cart, and I'm just kind of following along, going, oh, yeah, we should help somebody. I'm a pastor. Um, but here, you know, here we are, and uh, he's, he's helping her and talking to her about Jesus, like just unashamedly just, okay, I guess we're doing this. And he's like, oh, yeah, and my cousin, my cousin here, cousin-in-law technically or whatever that's called, um, he's like, he's a pastor. You should come on Sunday uh, over, you know, this is when I was a youth pastor, over at E3 at 10 a.m. or whatever, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you should definitely come. And it's like, I just felt so embarrassed because here my cousin-in-law was just going for it, right? Just had his heart and his mind ready to just help someone out and talk to them about Jesus. And I was not. And so I felt so convicted and inspired, actually. And so while we're not all called to be that bold with strangers all the time, most of us, for various reasons, hold back way more than we intend to or would like. And so we're starting the book of 2 Timothy today. And a little background on 2 Timothy. It was written by Paul during his second imprisonment in Rome. And what you need to know about Rome at the time is that Nero was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And he was nothing short of a psychopath. Okay? Here's just one example. Um, Half of the city of Rome burned down from accidental fires. Most people think Nero actually had it done himself. This is kind of getting in the mind of the psychopath, right? But he blamed it on Christians and used that as an excuse to torture them, to persecute them, but not just persecute them, like light them on fire, crucify them upside down, those sorts of crazy ways to persecute Christians. So here is Paul in jail, probably about to be beheaded. That's what tradition tells us. That's what church history, that's as best we can tell, ends up being beheaded by Nero for following Jesus. There's the psychopath. There's the, there is the intense environment that Paul is in when he's writing this letter to Timothy. And 2 Timothy 4.6 actually alludes to the fact that he's about to die, probably for his faith. And it, so it's written from this perspective of, okay, I'm, I am on my deathbed. And so this is what's important. And it was written after 1 Timothy and after Titus. And that's the reason we went in this order. Okay, we went 1 Timothy, Titus, and then 2 Timothy. Because this is the last letter of Paul. And so it makes sense to do it last. And just like in 1 Timothy... He's writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor in Ephesus, and this is Paul's last letter. And so I don't want you to forget all of this background as we go through 2 Timothy, and I'll try to remind you. But don't forget the intense persecution and suffering that Paul was going through at the time. Yet you're going to see right away in our passage today, and over and over in this letter, he urges Timothy to be fearless to be unashamed, to be bold. It's almost like Paul was preaching to himself as he writes this. And so don't forget that environment that he's in as we walk through this, because he's going to say some intense things. Put your seatbelt on. Second Timothy is not for the faint of heart. 
okay? He is writing like he's on his deathbed because he is. And so if you are here today and you're going through hardship in your life right now or you are suffering right now, I just want you to remember, so was Paul as he writes this. Yet it seemed like the harder it got for Paul, the more determined he became. And it's easy, it's easy as followers of Christ in America today to be, always be asking, when will all of this hardship end? When will it end? When will it end? And I get that, right? It's an understandable question to be asking. But in a very real way, the answer is actually not until heaven. We live in a broken world. So instead, like Paul, let's train ourselves, even when it's difficult, even when there's tears streaming down our face, to be asking this type of question in hardship. What is God trying to do in and through me in this hardship? Not simply asking, what can I learn from this junk? But what opportunities is God giving me in this junk? That's what Paul's asking. You can tell as he writes this. So, 2 Timothy is full of calls to just live unashamedly for Jesus. In even more bold ways than my cousin-in-law did at Hy-Vee that day. So, let's get into 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to see several unashamed things today. Right away, we're going to see unashamed friendship. 2 Timothy 1, verse 1. I'll be using the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I'm convinced is in you also. So in these first few verses, we see unashamed friendship. Verse 2, he says, my dearly loved son. Paul doesn't just tell Timothy he loves them. He says he dearly loves him. He loves him like he loves his very own son. He's just unashamed with his friendship even here. And then he's also making reference to the fact that Timothy is dearly loved by God himself. Reminding him of his sonship. In relation to God. See this is unashamed true godly friendship. He's unafraid to say to another grown man I love you. And he's unafraid to remind him of God's incredible love for him. And he's unafraid to say I don't just love you. I love you a ton. We're not just friends. We're family. In verse 3 he says I thank God when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He's thankful to God for Timothy. See, people that we cherish and are grateful for the most, we instinctively just thank God for them quite a bit. And that's what he's doing here. And he, he says he's praying for them all the time. That's the level of friendship that our world misses out on. See, we don't just miss people as believers. 
See, we can do more than just go, man, I miss them. We can do something that really matters when we're away from them. We can pray for them. And that's what Paul is doing. In verse 4, he says, remembering your tears. So Paul is thinking back to when he left Timothy. And as they're saying goodbye, Timothy was crying. That's how close they were. And they were unafraid to show it. See, real friendship doesn't mask and hold back strong emotions all the time. Real friends cry with and for each other. In verse 4, it says, I long to see you. He misses him a ton. He doesn't just want to see him again. He longs to see him again. Just like many of us long for summer in the middle of winter. Amen? Anyone? Okay. I know it's a little mild, but this is not summer, right? You know, just like many of us just long for that. And if you love winter, great. Enjoy it. Have at it, right? Glad you're enjoying it. But, um, but just like that, we long for that. Paul is longing to see his friend again, Timothy. Why? Verse 4, that I may be filled with joy. Timothy was a huge source of joy to Paul. Now what's joy? So we've had a working definition here at Stonebridge as we've moved through the scriptures over the years for joy. And it's this, it's satisfaction and delight in God independent of circumstances. Satisfaction and delight in God, independent of what's going on around us. So while people can't actually give us that type of joy, they can be conduits of that joy. And that is what Timothy was for Paul. He experienced the joy of Christ through friendship with Timothy. In verse 5, he says, I recall your sincere faith. See, Timothy brought him so much joy ultimately because of his sincere, real faith in Jesus. And he remembers the incredible legacy of sincere faith that was in Timothy's family. Paul knew Timothy so well. They were such good friends that he knew his grandmother and what her faith was like. And his mom and what her faith was like and how that got passed down to Timothy. And so Paul just over and over and over in these few short verses, he just exemplifies the type of unashamed friendships that we all desire and frankly, we all need. Next we see unashamed gifting. Verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he's talking about here an unashamed, unique gifting and ministry that Timothy had. And we're not sure exactly what that was for Timothy, but we know it certainly included his call to be a pastor. And so Paul's telling Timothy to unashamedly live out your unique calling. God's made it clear what he's called you to, Timothy. Now just go for it. Do it unashamedly. We talked about this briefly last week. See, God has wired and gifted you uniquely, and you need to find what those things are and do them with courage and with strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. Unashamed gifting. Next, we see unashamed gospel. Verse 8. We'll come back to verse 7 in a moment, but verse 8. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord 
or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He's saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel. So he's talking about being unashamed in the ministry that we all have as followers of Christ, and that's to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with other people. So regardless of Timothy's unique calling, he also had the calling of us all. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Timothy's call and the call of all who are in Christ is to unashamedly share the gospel. So yes, this means you might get made fun of or misunderstood. Yes, this, me- this might mean bringing up Jesus makes you feel a little uncomfortable, but that is the ministry of us all. Now, unashamed doesn't mean we're all being like my cousin-in-law at Hy-Vee, but are we talking about Jesus with other people ever? And if not, why not? So, both, verse 6, the unique gifting and ministry that Timothy has, and the call that we all have to share the gospel in verse 8 is held together by the glue of verse 7. And here's where I want to camp out for a while. Verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Let's start with the beginning of that verse. The thief of living unashamedly for Jesus, a spirit of fear. Now, a music stand is really helpful if it has legs. If this music stand didn't have legs, imagine if I was speaking up here today and I was just holding this. Okay, My arms would get really tired. Um, I would probably start shaking. Um, And it would be ridiculous because it defeats the whole purpose of using a music stand. Imagine if you were trying to play an instrument. <laughs> like you just couldn't do it. Like really couldn't do it. So it has to have its legs. You see, living in fear defeats the whole purpose of living for Jesus. Because Jesus died and then rose from the dead to conquer death by his resurrection, in order that we would then be filled with the Holy Spirit and live boldly, not fearfully. So when we live fearfully, it's not, it's not living in our relationship with Christ the way it was intended. It's like cutting the legs off of a music stand. But I don't want to just talk about fear abstractly. I'm not sure that's even helpful. What does ungodly fear look like in the life of a follower of Christ? Here's some common fear thieves. Fear of what other people think. So let's just, let's just talk about the areas we just talked about and saw in the scripture of being unashamed. Friendship, using your unique gifts and sharing the gospel. So fear of what other people think in friendship. You might think, man, I can't get too close Or they'll think I'm clingy and I'm weird. That's fear of what other people think in friendship. In using your unique gifts, you might think, man, I can't encourage them, right? So you have the gift of encouragement. I can't encourage them because they'll think I'm soft. It's fear of what other people think. 
Or in sharing the gospel, you're like, man, if I bring up Jesus, they won't like me anymore. That's fear of what other people think. Or another common fear thief, fear of being hurt in friendships. I can't really open up because then they won't want to be my friend. That's fear of being hurt. In using your unique gifts, what if, what if I help them? Then they tell me I did a bad job. That's fear of being hurt. Sharing the gospel, what if, I make, what if they make fun of me for being a Christian? That's fear of being hurt. Another common fear thief, fear of failing. Fear of failing in friendship. I'll inevitably let them down as a friend, so why even try? That's fear of failing. Using your unique, unique gifts. What if I screw up and let God down and let other people down? That's fear of failing. In sharing the gospel, what if I say the wrong thing and they don't believe because of me? That's fear of failing. And those are all real fears, right? And those fears can even be realized some, sometimes, but God did not give us his Holy Spirit to walk around afraid of the worst possible outcomes. He gave us his spirit to boldly, unashamedly risk our worst fears so we can push back the fear-filled work of the devil in this world and boldly advance the cause of Christ in our dark world. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. What did he give us? Here's the three legs, so to speak, of the music stand. Power, Love, sound judgment. That's what it says in verse 7. Just like this music stand needs all three legs to work properly. If there was just two legs on here, it'd be crooked like that and cockeyed. It wouldn't work very well. If there was just one, um, that would be really strange. You need all three of them if this music stand is going to work well. If you just have one missing, throws it all off. And the same is true for us in living unashamedly for Jesus. You've got to have power. You've got to have love, and you have to have sound judgment. All three. So what are we even talking about? What's power? This is talking about bold passion. This is talking about enthusiasm. It's talking about courage. It's a mentality that's like, let's go. Let's go. Power. Secondly, love. What is this? This is care. This is compassion. This is selfless sacrifice. It's a mentality of you really matter to me. And sound judgment is a mentality where you think before you speak. You think before you act. It's wisdom. It's self-control. Let me bring this to life a little bit for you. If you approach friendship with power and with love but without sound judgment, you could end up in massive debt because you just took your friend on an extravagant trip to Europe and bought him a car. All because you just went for it and you showed you cared without weighing the literal cost. If you approached friendship with power and with sound judgment but without love, you would spend a lot of time together and you wouldn't be reckless, but you would have a shallow friendship because you haven't lovingly listened or opened up yourself. If you approached friendship with love and with sound judgment but with no power, you simply wouldn't have that fun of a friend or that fun of a friendship. 
It'd be more like a have to than a get to. See, every friendship needs a level of spontaneous breathing room to it. If you approach sharing the gospel with power and with love, but without, but without sound judgment, you would end up coming cr- across as annoying and off-putting, and people would want nothing to do with you. If you approached sharing the gospel with power and with sound judgment without love, many might show interest because you were a great salesman, but eventually they're going to see right through you and sense that you don't give a rip about them. If you approach sharing the gospel with love and with sound judgment but no power, people are gonna, aren't going to see the urgent need for Christ. They're going to think, wow, you, you talk about Jesus, but do you even care about him? I think you get the picture here, but in all areas of our life, following Jesus needs all three legs of the stand. We need power, love, and sound judgment. But I want to talk to you for a second about something else. I think in 2020, there was a shift in our culture. And I don't have to give you stats to back this up because you've all experienced it. 2020 and all that year brought, brought a seismic shift in our culture. And we have not been immune from it within the church. The shift is that a spirit of fear has begun choking out the life of our society. What started as a legitimate fear of sickness snowballed into a fear of, what, of other people in general, which snowballed into fear of those people who I don't align with, which snowballed into fear of any real or perceived risk, which snowballed into almost fear of anything and everyone. Let me read 2 Timothy 1.7 again. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. See, God is actually inviting us to counteract the spirit of fear in our world today with, un, with an unashamed spirit of power, of love, and of sound judgment. So just imagine our world. Imagine our church and imagine our community. If we pursued friendships in our lives with all three of those, with power, love, and sound judgment, what if instead of waiting around in fear for other people to invite you to hang out with you, you stepped out in the power of the Spirit and pursued hanging out with other people. If we all wait around for others to ask us to do something, we all end up sitting at home defeated, fearful, and alone. What if you used your unique gifts and talents with power, love, and sound judgment? Here's what would happen. Rarely would we be short of any volunteers at church. And God would start using you in ways you never even dreamed of. And I'm not just saying that. Here's an example. So a couple years ago, uh, Travis Garrett uh, just boldly threw out the idea of like, hey, we have this, we own a residential house. What if we just like helped guys out one at a time? And because I'm excited about it. And we just helped guys get back on their feet. 
okay, let's talk about it. And he just threw out the idea, and one thing led to another. And so what's crazy is multiple guys sitting in here today have had their lives just completely transformed because of the power of Jesus. But that started with Travis being unashamed and willing to use the gifts and ideas and passions that God had given him. What if you started to share the gospel with power, love, and sound judgment? If you did that, you'd get the incredible privilege of seeing people's lives changed by Jesus before your very eyes. And we'd have the wonderful problem of these seats being full and needing more space. So I'm just wondering, where are the Davids in our world today? Where are the Davids who show up to bring lunch to their brothers and are like, why are you guys sitting back not fighting this giant? We've got God on our side. And they're like, we're scared. And he's like, I'll do it. He goes, and why is he not scared? Not because of himself. He's pretty young. No, he knew he had the power of God with him. And the victory was already sure. So I'm just wondering, where are the Davids at today? Where are the Esthers? who risk their life to go see the king in order to save God's people. Where the people are just willing to risk whatever, whenever, for Jesus. Where are the Daniels who, when told that he couldn't pray, kept praying anyways? Where are the Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes who... They're told, you know what, if you don't bow down to the king and worship him, you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. And they're like, that's fine. We're not bowing down to you, even if it means that we burn. See, our world needs this in our everyday lives. We need moms. We need dads. We need husbands. We need wives. We need employees. We need neighbors. We need friends who unashamedly Live for Jesus with power, with love, and with sound judgment, with all three. Can you imagine our world? See, our world is starving for this type of rare combination of power and of love and of sound judgment. But how could we possibly do that? Here's how. Verses 9 through 12. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Verse 12, Paul gives us his reason for living unashamed for Jesus, for living unashamedly in friendship and in ministry in every area of his life. He says, I am not ashamed because I know who I have believed in. Who's he believed in? Verse 10, our Savior, Christ Jesus. 
I'm not ashamed because I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Verse 10, Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Do you see this? Paul is unashamed because he is 100% assured of his salvation. And it doesn't come from anything that Paul did or didn't do. It comes solely from what Jesus did. You can wait on that, by the way. Look, if you're going to live an unashamed life for Jesus, it all starts with assurance. Listen closely. If you are not 100% sure you are Jesus's, then your whole foundation is gone. Why would I want to tell anyone about a Savior who might save them? Why would I want to serve a Savior who might save me? Romans 8.15 says, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Our ability to live unashamed for Jesus is directly tied to our adoption. We are his, so we're assured, we're secure, we're empowered. So if you're not certain you're his, you're just going to be confused and scared. And that is not the way of Christ because we are no longer slaves of fear. We're children of God. We haven't been given a spirit of fear. But if you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, enjoy unashamedly the absolute assurance that is yours because of what he did. And if you struggle to be unashamedly assured of your salvation, immerse yourself in 2 Timothy 1, 9 through 12. Let me read this. Let it just wash over you. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which, is, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. We're about to celebrate communion and you can throw that scripture up on the screen now and we're about to have a a family meal and celebration together for anyone who has repented of their sins and and, and believed in Jesus you're welcome to join us and so in a minute we're going to have the juice and the bread back there and As you go, I want you to go grab it, come to your seat, and I just want you to contemplate these scriptures. And I want you to talk to God about these scriptures and just let the good news of Jesus Christ wash over your soul today and free you from fear. And so I even want you to be thinking as you go, what what are some of those 
major fears in my life. And I'm not talking about a good godly fear. I'm talking about ungodly fear that's holding us back. I want you to just give that to him. So if you, if you would, just as the music's playing, if you'd like to join us today, if you're part of the family of God, you come back and, and get the juice and the bread, come have a seat, and then I'll come up and lead us taking it together. But let's, let's let this scripture just wash over our souls as we do that.